up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pores to back our log of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry Summer Specials. We are now presenting a remastered interview with the late Norm Wallace. With admirable foresight, Bob Mancor, Shirley Winton and Andy Wallace sat down with Norm in 2015 and recorded his remarkable life story and his memories of the industry since World War II. In this interview, you get an appreciation of a very different world after World War II, but also you hear of the struggles and victories that became the basic blocks that established the wages and conditions the industry enjoy today. Norm Wallace was the BLF Assistant Secretary, first to Paddy Malone from 1961 and then to Norm Gallagher from 1971 to 1988. Norm was in a unique position to both make this history and then record it. So enjoy his interview, which is in two parts, and have a look at the publication Never Powerless, that Norm was an important part of producing. So you, you weren't even 21 when you came back, Norm? No. <laughs> That's what they call a quick education, eh? Hmm. <laughs> Good. I remember speaking to Michael once about it, and he told me how he signed up to go to the, you know, to go to the, uh, to the desert. And I said to him, "What are you doing that for, Michael? Surely you bloody, you know, because he'd carried his swag and the depression and everything." And he looked at me and he said, "Bob." He said, I'd never had a, a, a new clothes for years. I'd never had a, a three meals a day, he said, and got quite well paid. He said, none of us thought twice about it. Because <laughs> his era, that was that really seen the, the terrible side of it. You know? And yeah. I never understood that. Because you know? it, it never gets taught in schools. None of that stuff. None of it. I never knew yeah, it. Most people who were in the service, my father was... He joined up again for a while in the Home Defence Force. Yeah, yeah. My elder brother was in the army, so mum was there with our, our sister and younger brother. My younger brother, he eventually joined the army later on too. But, uh, you know, you get whole families. But different from the First World War. First World War, 
families got wiped out. Yeah, there was. They, they reckon there was hardly a family in the whole of Australia that wasn't affected that's by right. by a, a death in the First World War. Different. That's why yeah, the effects of that war are still, still out today. today. And especially you having had a, a father there. The effects on me is that from the First World War, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, anyhow. So you come back and you're crook. So what, so what happens then? Well, the army at that time, they were, were given the ex-soldiers uh, a chance to uh, learn a trade or something. Now, I had my junior tech. I could have done a carpenter's course or a bricklayer or... Could have been a plumber. A plumber. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was suggested to me, perhaps get your intermediate, and uh, I had an idea that I was to be a chemist, you know, analytical chemist, something like that. Towards what? Chemist. Chemistry, you know. Yeah, like chemistry. Yeah. yeah, not pharmaceutical, yeah. Yeah. But one of those type of things, yeah, you know, anyone could have done me, it didn't make any difference. You know. So I said, right, and I had money. Yeah. I looked after my money in, uh, I hadn't looked after my money in the army, I'd spent, but I'd come out with my deferred pay and kept me parachute money. You used to get extra money for being a paratrooper, so that was there. Yeah, so I had a two or three hundred quid, you know. Which was a fair bit yeah. of money then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I had over two hundred and something. So I could afford, and I was living with my grandparents then, and uh, I could have. Quite easily, uh, I wanted to do this course full time, get it up and done with. But and I that just, was a chemistry course? No, to get the intermediate. So then you could do that course there. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't put me in a full time one, so they said I had to do it by correspondence. So I said, all right, I'll do it by correspondence. And the idea of doing things by correspondence was you could work or you could whatever, you know, you had the choice. You could fit it in sort of thing, yeah. Now, unfortunately, my state of mind at that time was in no way suited to doing a thing by correspondence. I could have coped with it full time and deal with people. But on my own, I did the course, I was going well, but I couldn't stick at it. I wanted to be off, you know, you're too yeah, unsettled. Too, too soon, too soon. Afterwards too unsettled. Yeah. And uh, so I said, no. Nah. I'm off, um, and I uh, I picked up a couple of jobs, processing jobs, and that horrible type of work. Never be a process worker. <laughs> That's the end of India. Soul. Okay. The end of your soul. Mm. So anyhow, I uh, they keep asking me to, because I'd done so well in the work I had done as the in the correspondence course was quite good. I decided I'd go to the bush and I went, uh, went fruit picking. Just before the end of 46 then I went fruit picking and uh, went up on my own, just put my swag on my back and or, or my kit bag, we just still in my army kit bag, like everybody in my army clothes still. Yeah. So it didn't mean anything for me to just pack up and go anywhere. I was still able to sleep anywhere if you yeah. went out somewhere. Lay down the floor and go to sleep. <laughs> You were used to it. Oh, crikey, yeah. Not people forget that in certain units in the army, you never knew what a bed was or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. You uh, never knew what it was to sit down at the table or eat or anything like that, you know. Well, you do 
you were times throughout that where you went this camp or that camp, you got a majority of the time, yeah. So when you were in Borneo and New Guinea, I mean, there was most of the time you just lived rough, did you? Yeah, so yeah. part of the time in New Guinea, one part of the time in New Guinea, you lived all right. We had the uh, local people used to do the cooking for us and do the cleaning up, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's only a bit of a clue. But oh yeah, mostly rough. Anyhow, like heaps of people, then everything's unsettled. There's such a scarcity of everything after all. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. get this, you couldn't get that. I went through picking and uh, got myself some money and found out how hard that can be. Please work, you know, how really hard it's not this glorified <laughs> thing. Real hard work. Yeah. If you want to make money. Yeah. And you had to work hard to make the money. And it's hot. To pay your way. And it'd be very hot at the oh, fruit picking yeah, yeah, all yeah. What sort of, can you remember what sort of rates you were getting for piecework? Yeah. It was pretty low that would have been. Oh, you could make good money if you were. Did a lot in short hours? Mm, Picked a lot? Not so much the long hours because you more or less had to work regular hours at where we were. Where I was, anyhow. You had to work hard. Had to work hard. That's to make money. But if you worked hard, you could make better money than you could get in a factory. You could. And you would have slept rough up there too, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have yeah. nothing flat. Yeah, slept rough. Yeah, in their quarters, you know. Yeah. But that, that didn't, that had no, no effect. Uh, next job, I then turned up with a couple of my mates from Footscray, who'd also been in the army, not with me. They'd been in the, in the infantry. We went timber cutting down in Mount Gambia, cutting pulpwood. The old pine plantations, yep. pine plantations had been cut out and we were more or less cutting the rubbish up for pulpwood. I liked that, you know, because we were out in the bush again, you know. <laughs> you go back to what you've been used to for a number of years. We're out in the bush again and uh, that's good, you know, a bit of work like that is nice. I, I think uh, we had dogs and we used to go after the rabbits. And at that time, rabbit skins were, were in great demand. We found out we were, with our traps, ferrets and the dogs, we were making more money in the rabbit skins than we were cutting the timber. <laughs> so we were there for a while until we got kicked out of there when the summer came on. That was part of the policy. Kick you out of the forest in the summer. Uh, we then put a period in, in Gippsland on the timber, amongst the hardwood, at the back of the Trelgan. It was wild country up there then. But this was, uh, of course, all the, all the good timber is gone. Uh, there used to be a process. It's interesting how they used to log. The first call on the timber in the forest was the SEC, that was first call for the poles, yep. the telegraph poles. They'd come in, they'd select their logs. Then they, the uh, ordinary scantling timber people who come in, the timber, you know, frames, they come in and take their trees out. And last that we left would be the pulpwood and certain trees that I'd left standing to renew, let a natural regeneration take place. That'd be the last. 
Uh, of course, what was left by the time we got there was was all the bloody timber that couldn't be split. You had to split it as well as cut it. You had to split it, <laughs> and of course, number all the best stuff had gone. All the splitting timber had all gone. We had all this rough stuff, so you couldn't make much money. Very hard, very hard. That was all piecework too, was it? Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I liked it up there as well, and. Uh, we used to get inspected every now and again. The uh, forestry inspector would come through to make sure you hadn't got stuck into their good timber that they'd left for the reforestation. <laughs> make sure you hadn't knocked them off. So what were you sleeping in them, Norm? Were you just rough still? Or did you have oh. huts or anything? Or? Uh, had huts, but you had, of course, you had... Uh, uh, cook yourself. And cook yourself, naturally. Oh, it'd only be three. But I mean, there was no, there was no running water or showers or anything. Oh, no, so nothing. Hey, pretty rough, There's rough living. That was me come out of said unit. The other two blokes had been the infantry. That didn't mean anything. <laughs> didn't mean a thing, of course. Of course. Oh, but, uh, and not like today, where we all get used to having a shower every day and whatever. Didn't yeah. mean a thing. That yeah. Rough living. It, it was what you did. Yeah. Not a thing. So that, that was another education. Mm. Then I did another turn at picking fruit. Uh, I'd done some other different factory jobs too. Uh, then in 48, 1948, just after the fruit season in 48, myself and the two mates got a job with the works and housing over on the rocket range. Where's that? Where? Woomera, in Woomera. In Woomera. Woomera. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, and how did you get about then? By train or what? Train oh, and bus? Yeah, yeah, we applied in Melbourne. You had to go through a security check then, too, by the way. Yeah. Which, I don't know to what extent they, they checked on you or anything. Didn't matter much. Uh, and then we were transported, you know, by train to Adelaide and from Adelaide to eventually to Woomera. And so this Woom was so to build is con construction to build, workers to build yeah. the Woomera village itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we were there for. We lived in tents on canvas stretchers. Our floor was uh, was aggregate, three quarter aggregate, uh, which was better than dirt. <laughs> Only thing about when you're living rough. The simple things mean a lot to you, like uh, the floor of your tent, mm. for example, your bed, whatever your circumstance, to, to get you up, somehow to keep yourself clean, this is what matters to And things like toilets and that, 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 that mean, that's a big matter, big mm. thing. How you, the basic things on how you live, how you sleep, how you eat, how your toilet goes and that, they mean a lot in all sorts of things. Yeah. People, some of the stories I've told about the different living conditions, they wonder what the you. Uh, people say, why do you remember that? Because they meant a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah. I remember in the army when, when you hadn't had, I when ended you hadn't up had on had a Navy, naval base in Madang. We went from, where were we? Been a lot of people. We went down to Madang to do some the hairbrine scheme thing that didn't come off. But we tried, for it, but it didn't come off, thank goodness. It was hairbrained. But we were living on this naval base, which the Navy personnel 
thought was as rough as hell. <laughs> but to us it was like, it didn't happen. We had clean beds, mm. the toilets were wonderful. We were getting, they, they, the Navy used to give you four meals a day. They don't know how they worked it out, but they used to get four meals a day. Oh, everything was great. Anyhow, I digress. At the rocket range, we, uh, as I say, we lived in tents. We had showers. They were cold showers, but we had showers. And we had mass sheds where you could sit down at the table and eat. Um, They'd feed you actually, would they? Huh? They'd feed you. They had a cook. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It was a big camp. Big yeah. camp. Yeah. Uh, and they, in order to get workers attracted to those, that type of work, we were works in housing, Department of Works and Housing, which had a huge workforce. Uh, you had to provide basic things like that. And uh, the Labor Party was in power then, and uh, they, uh, by necessity, they had a different outlook than what they have today, naturally enough, by necessity too, I said. Uh, and uh, they did provide some better conditions for people in their employ. Uh, so it took people who have been used to rough living, these were not bad conditions. I reckon I turned the first sod on the sewer for the Woomera village turned the very first sod. It was a big deal. So, so everything was being done by hand virtually? Oh, and yeah, we did. Uh, it was pick and shovel in the yeah, trench. Yeah. There was a barber green there, eventually came. That was one of the trench digging machine. But it, uh, machinery was still in scarce supply in, yeah, in yeah, Australia. Yeah. Machinery existed, yeah. but there was such a demand and you, of course you couldn't get stuff from overseas and everything. So the machinery that had been developed during the war, particularly a lot of the American machinery, some of it was available. But basically construction then was still the same way it had been done during the 30s. Yeah, yeah. Machinery had been used in the yeah. building for there's always been some form of mechanical aid used in the yeah. building. Even the Egyptians had mechanical aids in their building. After all, any, even a pick and a shovel is a mechanical aid. Uh, but the village itself was just in the process of being started. That's where all the people subsequent. So what year are we at now? Again? That's in 48. 48, that's it. Uh, I became the shop steward for the AWU there. By the way, they brought in a law that you couldn't strike at the rocket range because you know, it was all part of the coming policy of the Cold War that Churchill was trying to turn into a hot war, along with others. Uh, so you couldn't strike there. And visits by union officials were limited and had to be approved uh, in some way. They could get there but they were limited in what they could do. So, without banning strikes or banning any industrial action, like if you, can you remember? Industrial action, it was as far as I remember. It was all industrial action. Yeah. Fortunately, for the period I was there, and we formed a job committee, and we were able to meet regularly, you know, after work, and most of our complaints related, naturally enough, to living conditions in the camp itself and we were able to in the mine get a lot of things satisfactorily settled as you know in a way but I did learn there 
that once you take away that right to take industrial action, I quickly found out <laughs> you haven't got much bargaining power whatsoever. <laughs> it was mainly the, the head of the project it was in reality a reasonable sort of person. Plus I think the Labor Party at the time had a policy of placating Unions. Was there respect for you that you'd been away and all of you that oh, you'd no, been away? Much. The other bloke, the two blokes I was with, they were uh, ex-army and a lot of people who weren't there were ex-servicemen. But, but, but I mean, did the bosses kind of realise what you'd done? Or did people no, no, we could a lot of them have As well, they so, yeah. Well, right. But uh, that's when a lot of new Australians come here, or bolts as we call them. From the Baltic Bolts, yeah. So I had some good experiences there. I then became, my job there changed and I became a builder's labourer there and I became the shop steward of the builder's labourers. I was the secretary of the shop committee too. So you're secretary there? Shop committee, as we call them then, or job committee or whatever. What do you call them now, Andrew? Safety committee. Safety committee. Yeah, they don't have it the same now. There's not a lot of. You know that. That's because you know that's. Well, you know, I use the terminology as a job committee or. Yeah, because you're allowed to organise on in your workplace. No, but it's not just that. There isn't like the same organisation of jobs like is it? You know, like no. your day. No, it's, it's, it's all kind of filters down a bit, you know. Things have altered since I made the great proclamation one time that the job committee was always the top committee. Yep. They never allowed safety to get out of their hands. The minute you allow the, the job control to get out of the, the safety to get out of the hands of the man on the job, you're done for. Safety committees came in with a very bad reputation. I can tell you some of the experiences. It was a boss's scheme. The boss yeah, and they appoint their own stooges. Yeah, safety officers. You know, hey, they, you're they a boss. Around, they go around, get workers like rank, you know, when there's elections, they go yeah. around and, and try to get the bosses, yeah. try and get workers to vote for their stooges to mm. get on the committee. It's shocking. Just, yeah. just, I mean, but anyway, that's... Yeah. Anyhow, I, I had some good experiences over there on the rocket range, particularly meeting up with a lot of these people from Europe. And, what, uh, was, what were they doing? That was when they were uh, building the... What we the were doing there, first of all, the village itself, to house the eventual rocketeers, to call them a name, <laughs> who were to go there. The permanent residents of Woomera uh, were building the places where they were, the actual houses or units. Yeah. And we were building them. We were also building the excess roads to the launch sites, we're doing that. Yep. So I, uh, my job, as I say, I started off on the uh, sewer lines, and then I ended up on uh, some of the workshops, big metal framed, uh, metal clad workshops that they were requiring. I also ended up doing a lot of the, on the excess roads. They used to have to put cattle grids across the roads, on the and they'd fence them off and cattle grids across the road, putting in cattle grids could a lot of concrete work involved in that. And that's where I learnt how hard it is to mix concrete on a board. 
the hardest work a human being can be put to is mixing concrete on a board. I tell you, there's nothing harder uh, because concrete mixes were in short supply. And for this particular type of work, where you'd normally, first of all, we used to go and load up the truck or shovel with the metal. You had to learn how to load, shovel both hands. You had to, you know, to be a good. Very good work, he had to work both hands, left or right, because we had our own quarries there. But we didn't have the chutes after it was crushed, you had to load it by hand. Yeah. Uh, and then you'd put your sand in and load up your bags of cement and uh, you put your great board on the truck somehow. The 100 pound bags of cement in them days too, weren't they? they weren't 90, 96 or 98. Yeah, I know they're very close and to the, the promotion or the Taiwan cement yeah. was 112. And they used to come in busted bags, you know, all the promotion cement as Dusty there in the back. Yeah, to mix this concrete on a board. And I, some bugger gave, gave me a bloody number five shovel. Trying to shovel concrete with a number five shovel, which it's almost getting towards a coal shovel, oh, you know. Yeah. Oh, gee, bloody hell. Okay, you all used to stand around and You had a system. Yeah, yeah. Real hard yakka. Yeah. Real hard yakka. Very, very hard. Right. How long were you there for? Uh, we were there about seven, eight months. And uh, said we've had enough, had money, because uh, we worked Saturdays there. So what were the conditions then? You said six day yeah. a week. Yeah, six it was a week. six day. And it was over so proper overtime rates. Right? The forty four hour hadn't. The that's forty right, hour hadn't right, come that's in. That's right. Yeah, that came in. That, when did that come in? Forty hour, forty eight, wasn't it? Forty eight, forty eight, or something. Yeah. Like. No. Well, it could have come in during forty eight while we were there. Yeah. But all I remember is yeah. I'd never. I remember not knowing what a 40 hour week was yeah, for people, a while. Yeah. Uh, when you say what are the conditions like, uh, in those camps, your working conditions are one thing, your living conditions are something different. Our living conditions could only be termed in modern outlook as rough, but the people who worked there, for people like myself, and you know, to us, rough conditions. They were good conditions. Yeah, you, know? well, you just came out of the war. Yeah, yeah. Only a few relative. years out there. Yeah, it's all relative. Yeah, it's yeah. all relative. You, you could have showers in that there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Cold shower, yeah, but it was all right. Yeah, you could keep <laughs> cleaning. Yeah. I mean, I know it's right throughout most countries that the war just took all the resources away. And so, yeah. yeah, anyway. Yeah. But I did learn something there. There was a, a couple of pommy blokes there. Uh, they weren't ex-servicemen. One had been a fireman in London uh, during the Blitz. Oh boy, gee, could he tell some stories. Uh, the other bloke was a blacksmith and worked in the shipyards up around the Clyde and that. Yeah. And this is something I'd never ever realised. Of course, you had to have your, your, a lot of your own tools, even, well, I suppose, but I don't know what the people on shipbuilding are doing now. It's all different, of course. But they'd go, f go from shipyard to shipyard as work built out. And the first thing a blacksmith did when he went to the new yard was to make his... Make his own tools. His, make his hammer. No. His hammer. The first item he needs, the blacksmith, is a hammer. 
And it, that's because a hammer was a heavy thing, you didn't cart it with you. Your first job there was make a hammer. Same as what a carpenter used to do. A carpenter, when he went from this job that's to right. that job, first thing he did was make his sword. Believe that was right up to the 70s. Yeah, you know, they were sword tool. He had yeah. to make a sword tool. Yep. That's and, amazing, uh, isn't it? Yeah. That's the first job an apprentice ever yeah. learned, was how to make a saw still. An, an old foreman told me once uh, that, he, that he reckons that was one of the ways when, when all the people came from Europe, all the migrants, that when a bloke said he was a carpenter, they'd yeah. say, all right, okay. make, make yourself a saw still, and they'd yeah. have a good idea how much, how, how, how yeah. true you were there. Yeah, it's good. But I know how it ended up. They used to go to have a Port Melbourne there, and a ship had come in. The Italians would walk down that gangplank and the Greeks would walk down that gangplank. And as the Italians reached the shore, they'd get shoved a pick and a shovel in their hand and the Greek would get a hammer and a saw. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Good God, I thought I was no, joking. No, I'm not serious. No. <laughs> but that's the way. Yeah, yeah, that's how, the way how they, they went into the concrete, the Italians went into the... The Greek became the carpenter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I understand that. I mean, yeah. I, know, I know that. Yeah, we used to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and most of them, really, neither of them were really uh, tradesmen at all. They just, oh, no. uh, yeah, they just yeah. floor no, workers. Crikey, no. yeah. So when, when at the Wimmer, at the gym, met some of the local... Builders, labourers, like you know that guy. What's his name? Owens. Um, Ronnie Owens. Ron, Ron Owens. I don't know. He wasn't there. He's he was Ronnie. Came after. Ronnie, who came from Broken Hill. Yeah, yeah, That's but he right. wasn't that. Uh, no, Wimmera, he wasn't, wasn't he? No. No, I was just wondering no, whether the BLs had had. Um, no, the BLs, the South Australian brands. Uh, was that time the bloke's name was Shaw, uh, the secretary. Wasn't worth two bob. Mm. Uh, Either was the Victorian one at that time, was he? Eh? I say the Victorian one at that time wasn't worth much. Oh either. no, the Victorian bloke was a beauty. It was a crook. Paddy Malone. Oh, it was Paddy or yeah. when did, I was going to I was going to yeah. ask you when did yeah. Paddy yeah. when oh, did yeah. Paddy take over then? Oh, what was it? Forty six or something. I just off just after. Forty six. Right, because yeah, right. right, yeah. it was all run by gangsters. Before. Oh, before that, yeah, yeah. Uh, Paddy had already taken over then. Yeah. Oh, well, Jock McEwen had gone through the gangster period. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, so. So you were there for eight months, forty-four hour week. And I was going to say, no, no, it worked Saturday. Yeah. Before yeah, we for, before we forget, yeah. so do you remember the overtime rates? What they would have been? Would they have been? Oh no, the, the overtime rates were what they remained for time and a half, first two hours, double time and a half. Because and it was because it was a government kind of project, so yeah. Yeah, the, the, award, the awards existed, yeah, yeah, the awards yeah. were observed. Yeah, yeah. The arbitration system was in full swing. And, yeah. uh, so it was good to know that the, the overtime rates were already in. And uh, I mean, I, I, I have looked up all that, but uh, we won't get into that because you won't, you know, you, you must we will. Oh, no, the award, the what about holiday pay? It was, uh, how many weeks was then? Do you remember? Uh, two. Two, two weeks. Two. And the, and the issues that when you were shop steward you sort of got some improvement in conditions, was that money of safety? Uh, or was it... Well... The camp. We said a lot of it was in the camp. In the, the camp, yeah. The right. camp conditions, you know. It was mainly about the camp. Camp conditions, which were 
working conditions, uh, it was just damn hard work. And then the safety would have been pretty pretty average for today, wouldn't it? I mean, you, when you're working on the, the side of the houses and that, you wouldn't have had... Uh, didn't you use 44s for... Uh, with boards on for scaffolds and all that sort of stuff in them days still? Or what? Well, that's, well, when I was there, scaffolding, there wasn't much scaffolding. In fact, I don't recall any scaffolding. Yeah. The, the, uh, there would be the scaffolding for any of the brickwork, which yeah. could only be first yeah, lift. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the chippies would have been on the roof without any protection, wouldn't they? On the Just climbing up on the timbers and that's how it would have been in them days, wouldn't it? I'd say so. I didn't see any of that construction. Oh, you didn't? Oh, all right, yeah, yeah. I was mainly on the groundwork, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Launching pads and launching front, I never saw any of that. I don't know what happened there. That was after my time there. So, after the, the Wimmera? I then uh, came back to Melbourne and went into the union office and... That's 49. 49, yeah, yeah. start of 49. 49. <laughs> and where was the office at? In Victoria Street. No, I didn't go there first. In Victoria uh, Street? I went and got a job. First yeah. job, I got a job as a builder's labourer on the Footscray Hospital, <laughs> which was, uh, there was a new nurses' quarter being built. It was very, it wasn't big. don't know what it's like now. Oh, it was, I, I actually worked there when they pulled it down. Oh. Well, I've worked in the ground some, there. I've got some doors at a home that I built that I got out of. <laughs> so there you go. Did you all knock off stuff? No, they were throwing them out. So. No, everybody. Yeah, and they were beautiful, and the quality of the doors yeah. in them days, you know. I, know. I, I was in the ground. Oh, there you go, 49. We mates, we're, yeah. in, we're in the ground there. Oh, and, God, uh, that's funny. Jock McEwen coming at the side. And uh, we said, we're in the union, you know, being a typical organised, well, where's your ticket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't have it on me. And I said, I'm paid up. And he said, <laughs> so Jock said, well, you better pay again. So I paid over, you know, paid over. Ten bob it was then. But I, I was already financial. What, in South Australia? Yeah, with yeah, South yeah. Australia yeah. for that, that next half, because I paid in advance. So, you know, I remained in advance of my union subscription for many, many years. And now, so I then went in and said, well, I better get me transfer, and I went into the union office. So where was it, in Victoria Street? In Victoria Street, you know, where the bank is on the corner opposite the trade hall. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, is there a bank there now? It, no, it's it a... It used to be a bank. Bank, yeah. yeah. It used to be a bank. Then there was a, there's still a hairdresser there. So it's yeah. a barbershop now. Yeah, so I'd come, I used to get his hair cut there, I remember that for some no, reason. The, no, 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 no. Cross road from trade hall. Yeah, yeah, cross yeah, the road in Victoria Street. Yeah, no, that's what we're talking about, yeah. I thought you meant where... We're it was the barber shop next door to the yeah, house in Russell yeah. Street. No, where you're talking about that bank on the corner of Russell Street and Lyon Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And up Russell Street, Lyon Street. Yeah. 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 And it's not a bank now. It's yeah. just a bank. No, that's all right. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Next door to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so we worked at the Footscray Hospital for a while. And because we were on the unskilled rate, E.A. Watts was the builder. And because yeah. uh, Nats and I said, we want skilled rights. And we weren't doing skilled work. We were yeah. doing ordinary build, unskilled work, as we termed it then. And uh, builder's libraries were scarce then. Watts sticking to the wage freeze that was on at yeah. that time. It was a 
universal wage freeze by the employers and uh, watch wouldn't pay above the award, wouldn't, oh, he was standing fast with the master builders. So he said, ta-da, I'll go and get me, I'll go and get the skilled rates somewhere else. He only had the two rates, skilled and unskilled. Uh, there, was, there wasn't riggers rates and dogmans rates. Oh, like, yep, yep. Riggers and dogmen were part of the skill. Killed, yep, scaffolding. So I left there, I forget when my two mates went, can't quite recall now. I left there and then went to work for uh, next job, I think, Builders Labor was with Winwood. who was a builder. Winwood. These are old time Melbourne builders, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. who started off as family builders. Yeah. Winwood up at uh, where they built the farm, Wilshire Files. This will still be 49. Wilshire Files, I worked there on that with Winwood the builder. You don't make files in Australia anymore. They don't make anything in Australia, do no. I then went, uh, I forget why. Disgusting. I got skilled rights, but I don't know why I went somewhere. Maybe the job cut out. I worked for Thompson and Chalmers inside the law courts in Russell Street. The old, next to the old Melbourne job. You've got a, you a great memory. <laughs> and then I ended up with John's and Waygoods. John's and Waygoods were, uh, don't exist now, but they were a very large lift installation firm and, and metal construction firm. They employed a lot of riggers and boiler makers <coughs> and uh, a very well-known firm, large construction capability. I, I, I worked for them in their last couple of years. Yeah, build a yeah. bridge, do anything. Remember uh, uh, Vince... Yeah, Vince Stephen Santos. Yeah, Vince, Vince, was, Vince was a foreman. Well, yeah, well, Vince was on our exec. That's why I knew that. That's why I thought. That's why I thought I'd mention him, Vince. Yeah. And he was a very nice boss too. Oh, a hell of a, hell of a good bloke. Hell of a. See, you know what his original trade was? Uh, a watchmaker or something. No, no, a shoemaker. The shoemaker. That's shoe right. That's right. Make shoes. Yeah. Uh, Vince was a real gentleman, yeah, top yeah, bloke. Yeah. And then there, I learnt how I was with an old rigger. Uh, Russian Jack he was, he was a Russian, <laughs> and he had, I love them names, Russian. he had, uh, he'd worked on wind jams. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, an old seaman. Yeah, yeah an old seaman. Seaman yeah. yeah. used to come ashore and go yeah, rigging yeah, in the building yeah. And they were bloody good at their job. And uh, he'd, he'd been on wind jammers. Jesus. And he was their chief splicer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, down at their factory in Port Melbourne, there was a, they had a job to, do these big wire guy ropes for a wireless mast in, in New Zealand, I think it was. And they had to be spliced together in the, in the uh, not eyelets, what do you call them that you splice in the... Yeah, an eye, an eye, eye. splicing yeah, an eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the eye, the eye splicing. Yeah. Uh, you had to do all that. And I learned how to splice there. Oh, you could do splice steel, could you? Yeah, steel yeah, rope, because that's not, not the wire rope, isn't yeah, it? So yeah. I did pick up a few things along the way about it. Though. Well, I learned it once, but I forgot it very quickly. Yeah. No, I, I learned that. And I got my finger caught in a splice. Well, these were heavy. These were seven, eight. Yeah. Seven, eight guy ropes. Yeah. Now, that's powerful steel. <laughs> <laughs> you had a method where... To get the spike, he, he had a gadget motor, yes. the Marlin spike. Right, yeah, yeah. He had a flat one. Oh, you yeah. just put it in and twist it. 
and open up the uh, screen. Big enough to pull it, the, yeah, the, the, the yeah. towel through. And then you could get the wire strand through. And I inadvertently got my finger in and knock the loose part, the, <laughs> the wire opener <laughs> of the rope, one of the strands, knock it to one side, just as he was pulling the marlin spike out, he caught my finger gets caught up in the twist. <laughs> oh, gee, I yelled. Anyhow, I was with them for a while. I worked down at uh, one of the original jobs down at Altona in the oil refineries. Oh, were you there in, at Mobile Refinery? Or oh, I forget which one it was yeah. now. This is it. That was a real, was that the start of oil refining in Australia, do you think? Oh, no. No, no. 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 Where, where was it? Where, where? Cornell, Cornell, Cornell would have been the in first. In Victoria, that was Mobile, the first, um, in Victoria, the first refinery. Well, well it could have been. It could have been, yeah. yeah, but it was it was a lot of work well yeah. underway by the time yeah. I was there. Yeah. It started in, in 48, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah, well, it was had to be. Yeah, it was late 48 or early 49, I forget yeah, yeah. what I said. The thing what I remember about it, John's from Wigood has been part of the Metal Trades uh, Employees Association. They were well in on this wage freeze caper and would not pay overward payments. So there was no side allowances, no nothing, just a, no, just a flat, right. Flat, <laughs> Australia-wide employer and yeah, ban yeah. on, on their, everything. And they were, they were holding pretty well. But as, because of the fair scarcity of labour mm. and material, you know, material perhaps was the worst holdup for a builder. So if he had the material, he wanted to get his job done, so he'd get his money in. So, so he'd be prepared to attract the labour as well as the material. Uh, and why goods wouldn't pay over the award? Right. But every payday, why would pay master come round and pay you? Yeah. Along coming another bloke, we'll give you ten bob. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you quiet. Well, yeah. that was their way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretending we're holding the line. Stalwart. So that, uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I think I worked for another builder somewhere after I finished with Way Goods. Then I, uh, I said, oh, I'll go up there. I was back at Footscray by this time, living there, and I, that's be forty-nine, and uh, I got the local. What did they used to call them? Department of Labor, we went for jobs and that. They, where they used to direct. Where there was work. There was still, yep. still fair control over labor direction. Yep. Uh, and I went up there and I said, oh, oh by this time, my back was really playing up, I was in trouble. And I said, I better start missing a bit of this labor work. So I went up there and I said, we're going to storm this job up with the Housing Commission up at, up at Maidstone. So I said, that'll do me, I could hop on my bike and get there or whatever, or uh, catch a bus, one way or another get there. And so I got there in Ballarat Road. They had a yard, a builder's yard. This is the Housing Commission. Yeah, yeah. It was all day labour and a store. And uh, there was this job in the, in the store garden bit of a clerical type job. Uh, I could do clerical work, no problem. When I was wanting to get out of the army, in order to avoid doing stupid army work, I ended up with the army printing press as, a, as, a, as the paymaster. <laughs> Tell them I didn't do it. Anyhow, so I could do a bit of clerical work. But it turns out, first thing, bloke comes around, he was the BWIU rep and he talks to me. 
another bloke, and I'm in, this, in the office of the store. Another bloke comes up, he's builder's labourer's rep, old Charlie Barry. And he says, you're a builder's labourer. I said, yeah. He said, this is builder's labourer's work. It's in the store pencil. I said, yeah. He says, join the union. I says, I'm in the union. <laughs> that was a hell of a good bloke, old Charlie Barry. And uh, so I continued my work as a builder's labourer. And eventually, it was all right in the store, uh, but eventually uh, I was going to the union meetings at that time. When I was working with Waywoods, I remember Paddy Malone coming on a job one day and speaking about the union, the trouble that the union was having with the, the groups at that time, the industrial groups, yeah. and what they were trying to do in the union was to prevent us from breaking the wage freeze. And, which was true, you know, they were against strike action. But the groupers were... Oh yeah, oh yeah, you had to... Yeah, like, they, they never participated in a yeah. working class action in their life. So I was attending the union meetings in early 49 on. Jesus. Start of 49 I've been attending the union meetings. And uh, we used to have them every fortnight then, a general meeting every fortnight. Jesus. Imagine trying, to get, imagine trying to get blokes there today. That's right. Uh, no. yeah, every fortnight. And it's 1949. I know, and those meetings were pretty well attended. They were in Lycan oh, Street. Yeah, they were lively. Yeah, at the trade hall, we used to have them. At the trade hall, they were lively meetings. Was that the same room that we used to have them with the bells in the, oh, in the early 70s? Yeah, yeah, you uh, could vary from which, one whichever one was available and being booked out for this reason or that reason. Uh, oh yes, and uh, they were lively meetings, very lively. Uh, one, of, I mean, one of the difficulties about members not attending meetings, and there's lots of different reasons, you know, unions are unions just not doing the stuff they should be doing. But now, you know, a lot of people, like workers, live in the, out, oh, on the outskirts of, of the city. They live in Geelong. Heaps of them travel. So travelling is just yeah. so inhib prohibitive now. Well, that's interesting. When you reflect on the early days of formation of unions, mm. it shows you how you can easily see that problem of travel. Take back to the formation of, apart from, just take the BWIU for example. Uh, they used to have a branch in Footscray, a branch in Paran, yeah, yeah. branches in Brunswick. They had all these local branches. They developed those local branches back in the very early days when, even though it was close, the methods of travel consisted of a push bike yeah. or a horse. Yeah, that's uh, right. Or some train travel. So in order, they developed those branches. The builders' labourers, the Victorian speaking purely of Victoria, our history was that we found necessary because most builders' labourers were concentrated where they could travel. They were in Paran, which magnificent place to travel from. Paran. Oh, housing was cheap then. Yeah, and housing. They existed in the Footscray area, they existed in the Richmond area, Brunswick, Collingwood and Fitzroy. Mm. 
and to some extent in Essendon. So they were able to get to the city. Our problem, of course, lied with the bush. <laughs> Geelong, for example, we had a branch in Geelong, we had a branch in Ballarat, we had a branch in Bendigo, we had a branch in Shepparton. Uh, I think we, no, we didn't have a branch at Latrobe. Eventually that came later. But that's how that dealt with, because of that problem. So it raises another point. If workers build organisation because of those conditions then, what? They they will build organisation now yeah. related to the new conditions. Yep, yep. It, There's it, only one obstacle. What's that? And from my experience, ah. some union leadership, whether it's state or national, are very wary. You know, they want to control. Oh yeah. And they're very wary okay. about. Yeah. But that would have been in his time too, wouldn't it? There would have been people like well, that. Well, not with... No, not with the BLs, I'm just saying, but there would have been well, bludgers well, around then and people who were... Oh, crikey, yeah. Oh, hell. The, 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 the right and left yeah. divisions were... Yeah. Except the, the right had a problem then. Back in my early days, they always had a problem. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> They've still got one. Oh, yeah. No, but things needed to be done. Yeah. And they had to come out in the open of opposing what was seemed to any reasonable sort of worker that this action should be taken and the right was opposed to it. So yeah. there was a, it's quite often you could get the distinction between the two opposing things. These days it's become a bit blurred. Yeah. Not a bit. Just I want to ask you quickly, Normie, about um, what's his name, uh, the secretary, the Irishman. Who, Paddy? Yeah, was he uh, as incredible a man as yes. I heard? He was a, yes, a real man. Perhaps more so. Yeah, is he, was he a real, uh, just a good, good human yeah, being? Yeah, wasn't he? he was. Perhaps more so than what you've heard. Yeah, and, and, a, and, a, and a nice man as well, was he? Oh, yes. Yeah, a gentleman sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a way with most people. Yeah. He could. Uh, he wasn't a bull artist by any means. An intelligent man too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Crikey, yeah. And when Paddy got up at the trade hall, for example, to speak, they all shut up and listened. Listen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Because that thing you're telling us, when you were organising, I remember years ago. I forget a lot of stuff. Too much beer, I suppose. But um, I remember once you told me about when the. Uh, the groupers were trying to make an effort. I'm sure it was you who told me you used to put a little spot on the uh, page of the of the member or something like that. Um, it was either you or one of the old no, organisers. Yeah, and he said that they then they could uh, differentiate. Uh, with just a little a little spot or no. something. Might have been Margo, not me. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah he just, and he said that was one of the tricks we used. That we knew who the people were. You know, we oh, we knew what people had because you had a few in the ranks that had those leanings, didn't you? That had been put uh, in the, the builders' labourers. Oh, well, now he got on the executive yeah. of the, which must have been either nineteen fifty. Well, hang on, get, wait till you tell us. Oh, that's right. Yeah, go on. So you, so you nineteen fifty. 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 Nine and fifty or fifty one, I can't yeah. remember. You invited on the exec. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, was that Paddy Malone? What's that? Paddy, Paddy, uh, Paddy uh, Malone who invited you to join the executive or somebody else? Oh, he can't remember. Well, oh, well. Doesn't matter. Oh, it's not important. Could have been Jock, I don't know. Jock. It's not important. Oh, it wasn't up to Paddy's. Yeah, 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 Paddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh, no, Jock was very competent. 
and good with the blokes and oh, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got on well with Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Jack was quite a competent organiser. But they had all really good politics, I mean they didn't too. I mean they really had that yeah. you know, real understanding of serving the people. So was you, was your education starting now sort of thing, obviously. At this yeah. time, uh, oh, yeah. This oh, is when yeah. so it started after the war, that's when you oh, really started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, yeah. you learn as you go, don't yeah. you? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm just Because you yeah. see, the blokes that, some of the blokes that I learnt off, they're <coughs> like 10 years old, they're all dead and gone now. So they would tell me stories about yeah. learning before the war as well, oh, you know, because yeah. they carried their swags and they'd seen all oh, these terrible yeah. things. You yeah. know, you would have well, known them too. Hey, of course. Jock had, had worked in the coal mines in Scotland. Underground at 14, yeah, you know, yeah. so he, he could he, tell a few stories. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and of course, Paddy had worked on the cane fields yeah, yeah, yeah. when he came out from Ireland, and, yeah. and he'd worked with Louis Groller. Oh, really? The, yeah. the, 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 and that's how yeah. uh, Louis Groller and, uh, and Paddy had gone, go, went back years. Another is that Dick Rollo? Is that the Rollo? Yeah, he, Louis was the, the founder of it. Yeah. The Louis, then Bruno, then the, the latest. Louis to Bruno and Reno. Reno got out of it before, after a while. And then now to this, uh, what's his name? Doesn't, even, ma doesn't even matter. He lives, he lives in uh, New York. New York, yeah. Does <laughs> he? Yeah, yeah. Not Bruno. Bruno's son. I think he runs. Just... His business here yeah. from New York. I don't think it's running very well at the moment, does it? I don't know what's going on. No, is it? It's, it's, no. But anyhow, uh, so the nineteen fifty invited to join the BLS. Right. And, and so you're still working. And, and you're still you're still, still working on the job. Yeah. On the job. Yeah. We had a rule then: you couldn't be on the executive if you were an official. An elected official. An elected official. So the executive the was only, a rank and file. The secretary was the only yeah, yeah. paid official on the executive. <laughs> That's executive. a good idea. That's yeah. good and bad. Yeah. Good and bad. It was later changed. Yeah. It's good and bad. But it's, it does encourage blokes who, who are on the job to bring things up and it gives them a communication with the uh, top officials, you know, don't yeah, you agree? Yeah. It, it's good and bad and uh, it's worthy whenever we get to the stage of figuring out What's gone wrong with the world? That's the sort of question you'll consider in relation to all sorts of things, things yeah, as, yeah, to, yeah. as to who runs, who runs, who how runs should it be run, what went wrong here, what went wrong there. If we had, a, if this had been the case, would have been different. You know, that's that's the, somebody, somebody in the future amongst a group of people or a number of people are going to sit down and really work through a lot of the problems. No one person I'll ever no. solve. Have the answers. Yeah. And so so then you kept working. I want to find out when you started organising. Come oh, on. I, so how much? I kept working and working and working and working at the Housing Commission. Oh, as, as, a, as a storeman or whatever you <laughs> no, want. No, no, no. They, I, because I, I, I naturally ended up on this job committee. And uh, Charlie Barry was still the shop steward. And because I was also on the union executive at the time, and I was quite active on the job, put it to you that way, quite active. No, no mock shot and, yet. And <laughs> one of the bosses, I, ended up, I was off work for yeah. me back. I was yeah. really crippled. And uh, I well remember they passed me fit for work. I wasn't fit by any means. I was 
had a brace on and everything. <laughs> and I go, I go back to work and this bloody foreman, he says, pick up that pick and shovel. There's the trench, you know, with the drainers. So pick up my pick and shovel. And it's all rough ground. You know, no roads weren't made or anything in those days. Like, you built the house before you built the roads or anything. Mud everywhere. <laughs> but I get to the edge of the trench. Of course, what happens when you fall in the trench? And now the, the, the plumber foreman and the foreman of the drainers, two good blokes, the foreman drainers, particularly good blokes, he, he went up to the, you know, the general foreman and said, hey, he said, what are you trying to do to the bloke? You know? And uh, I think I, they, I got a, a lighter job other than pick and shovel. I think I was cleaning the houses out preparatory to to uh, hand over, which was hard work, but... <laughs> but Better than pick and shovel. <laughs> yeah, that's, anyway, that was nothing. You didn't always meet kind-hearted. No, no, even the, yeah. and, and that's what amazes me when I hear these stories. There's no respect for people like you who've just saved the bloody country from the from you know, Japanese invasion. It, it's, it faded very quickly, didn't it? You know? Anyhow. The thankfulness. Uh, on the, when I was on the executive, the executive was finally divided. We just had, we had one majority, I think, over the Industrial group. Oh, they were in. They were in quite oh, yeah, big this numbers. Is, this is yeah. even before the split. Yep, before yep. the split all over. Yep. Uh, and they were. Uh, uh, so this great battle was taken right place right throughout. Not just our union. Yeah, all yep, yep. But throughout the uh, all the building. Well, throughout the BWIU. Yeah. The ASNJ had been formed. Yep. And uh, we, naturally enough, had fought with the BWIU against the ASCNJ, but it was very prevalent. BWIU, even then, was all over the place, didn't know what they were doing. Uh, the, uh, and the problem of the groupers existed elsewhere. The iron workers, for example, yep. don't like dinners by that short. Yep. Uh, oh, Laurie. No, not Laurie. Oh, Laurie Short. Laurie, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, and then of course in the uh, in the metal trades, you know, a lot of group of stuff there. And were they getting financed? You think by the bosses and by uh, the group? Yeah, yeah. Oh, crikey! Yeah, yeah. They, they, and the government. Yeah, and the government. All the. And and were there any with any brains amongst them that you could that you that, that, and did they have any morals or scruples or the way? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah, crikey, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't personally. I, I seemed to be a different type of person. But you know. right. well, they mostly a Catholic background and religious and that. Mostly, not yeah. all. Yeah. Not all. We had one prominent builder slaver who wasn't. Who eventually stood on one of their Senate tickets. He used to declare himself an atheist, but he was an out-and-out grouper. But it was also in that context of that, you know, like in America, there was also the beginning more of that, um, what's that called? McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. 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 The groupers were, um, yeah. were, those sections of the, and the Catholic Church was really oh. into it with Menzies, oh. the Manics. <laughs> so there were all this, Catholics who were so loyal to the church yeah. and they just accepted what 
the heads were telling them. That's right. And so probably a lot of them were just ordinary workers. Yeah. And they whipped, they had been whipped up into this, you know, yeah. fear of yeah. communism. There's the yellow perils coming yeah. down, yeah. And, and all that kind of stuff. I mean. You know, at the moment, for instance, the independent in Ballarat, what's his name, uh, John Madigan, who's the DLP, yeah. who's really good on um, on IR, on yeah, industrial yeah, relations yeah, laws, yeah, yeah. he's really good on selling Australia to multinational, all those things. Yeah. He's just slept at DLP, and because yeah. he reckons they're all wanky. Yeah. Um, and now, and but he was a DLP member, mm, and he. Yeah. Stood no, he but he's terrific. He really is not a bad and, person. No, well, during the strike at in Yalon, at Yalon, remember that where the workers were yeah, yeah. locked out for was it about two months or something. Mm. He used to come down and support them on the picket line, yeah. and he's he's a deal peer, you yeah. know. And but he's generally, I think, a lot of them are generally were probably were generally about supporting workers, yeah. workers' rights. But they were being manipulated yeah. and whipped up into this all this political. Oh, we had we had many uh, members who were Catholic yeah. who didn't support the group. No, many, no, that's many. right. And of course, we yeah, are. Yeah, well, look, remember Arthur Colwell? Yeah, that's now, right. Yeah. yeah, Arthur Colwell. He didn't support the group. Yeah, Arthur Colwell. Gee, today. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he was declared a right winger. Today he'd be extreme left. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, uh, yeah. the, the after they after the DLP was formed, uh, so you you had two situations. You had the groupers' activity before DLP was the formed. DLP was formed. Then you had the, the thing after. So when was the split, no? Oh, I forgot now, but it was 55, 56, something like that. Yeah, 55. Something like that. I forget those. All right, listen, we've got to get back to you, otherwise you'll... No, Norm, you are looking tired. No, I'm... Just don't hesitate. No. We can always oh, come no, back. No, 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 I've got to... I've got to get it over and done with. Yes, now, all right, so we... I don't want to keep living in the past. Nice. No, no, well, no, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. So, So where are we? Another time we talk about the present. <laughs> and so where are we now? We he, Normie's just got on the uh, what do you call it on the executive. Exactly. Oh, you said all right. So you, 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 you and you're working with the housing commission. So what was the next step? Next step, in 1960, a vacancy came up for uh, a temporary organizer, and uh, I was put forward as a candidate. But a vote takes then would take place at a. At the last annual meeting of 1960, last annual meeting, general, general meeting, meeting. Yep. yeah, that's the ordinary. Yep, yep. Then I Rank think, we'll, then I think we'll perhaps monthly meetings. Then you know, I'm not sure whether we yep. still afford or not. I, I was opposed. Uh, there was opposition, uh, but I won the vote. It was a somebody stood against you. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah a bloke. Was there a grouper? Or? No, no, no. no uh, he was suspected of being. In fact, he was connected with the gangsters from Richmond. He had a, a reputation of knocking around with the Richmond push. In fact, he did knock around. Wasn't a bad fellow. He, uh, when I say he wasn't a bad fellow, but he wasn't wanted because of his criminal associations. Right. So anyhow, I won. Won the ballot. So I started work. Uh, immediately, 
first start in 1961, just before I turned uh, 34. 34. I was 30. Yeah. So you'd, have, you'd had heaps of time in, on the on, on the, the job. Oh, yeah. yeah, heaps. I mean, you weren't just uh, oh, no. you weren't one of these geniuses that uh, no, go to university and no, the next year they're no. organising, and I wonder where no, they got the no. experience from. We never, Ever. none of our organisers that went to university became, in the Victoria, became organisers unless they They'd worked on the exactly, job. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. We, yeah, you mean we, like, like Billy Shorten did? And I can name <laughs> 20 others. Yeah. All right, so, and by this time you knew what was going on, obviously. You don't even have to tell us. Yeah. Your politics have started to fall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyhow, uh, uh, 1960. So I continued working for the union until no, in June 1988. They finally said you're getting to. Ta Norm. <laughs> um, so was that the, the outcome of the registration and all that? Yeah, and did you see in your time, not just as an organiser, but after the war, until I know from '74 when I came to Australia, what I, you know, and I knew a lot, but you achieved because I spoke to the old blokes. I still got things that'll never go out of my mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, learning from them, it, there was so much achieved, wasn't it? It was just unbelievable. Those years from after the war till 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 the later. Oh, you mean changing conditions? Yeah, oh, improvements, just am amazing. Well, some conditions are achieved purely by the strength of the workers themselves. Some conditions are achieved. That is where the worker has to uh, battle to maintain an existing condition, yep. or he has to. He's, got favourable circumstances that allow him to improve them. Other conditions can be improved because it's in the boss's interest yeah. to improve them. We mentioned before, I'm speaking in general now, how it was in the boss's interest to give people an education. Yeah, yeah. Right? because they needed people who could yeah. read and write. We got we got conditions after the war because we were in competition with the Soviet Union, where workers were looking towards the Soviet Union. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And after the war, the ruling class said, "Look, we better make some concessions to yeah, yeah. these workers of ours, otherwise they're going to yeah, go further and further." Go further. Yeah. So. Even the Labor Party then, even though it contained a lot of rights, right wingers and that, they also contained a lot of left wingers. And the Labor parties, remember the Labor Party had a policy then of the socialisation of production, distribution and exchange. Yep, yep. That was their policy. Yep, yep. That was one of their objects. Yep, yep. So they said, look, you don't have to follow the Soviet Union or anything like that. Because we got, we can give it here. So certain socks were given to the working people after the war, to uh, such as forty-hour week, for example. Yeah. Forty-hour week. And and do you remember? You, so when you were working after the war, you, you weren't getting rain money, were you? You weren't getting wet money, or were you? No, no. Which what if it rained, you either worked in the rain or you went home and didn't get paid. Was that what it was? 
I'm trying to think what our entitlement was. No, we were getting after the war, no, we were getting an entitlement to one day, one day a month. To one day a month. No, oh no. No, we it wasn't that bad. One day a month. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, that, that was a condition that was won during the war. Uh, was it? Or at the uh, end of the war. There was a big improvement in order to get projects finished. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a big improvement in, in, in the general conditions. But see, I remember working in the housing commission there when we'd been the shed shouting from the right. <laughs> the boss would come up, get out, get out. We say it's raining. No, it's not raining. Look, look. We'd get a mirror and stand at the door of the shed and hold the mirror out and say, look, look, you can see the water on the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No, the, uh, those, the improvements in the weather, uh, they're different battles that took place, and some of them were won by those type of conditions. In the minor, won by the militancy of the workers. Yeah, 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 yeah. The general overall condition for the working class surely must be decided by different factors, because after all, who's most powerful? Is it the worker who's most powerful in this present stage, or is it the boss? We've got the potential to be the most powerful, but we're not. Mm. If we were the most powerful, we'd be up there, wouldn't we? So it's it's like after, also after the war, where there was a shortage of labour, yeah. so the yeah, the class was in a stronger position yeah. too. And now, for instance, comparing where the manufacturing industry is being decimated, there's um, there's growing unemployment. So, mm. with, in addition to a whole lot of other factors, yeah. unions are not yeah. strong. So, um, it's you know it's in, in many and, and well, there's all that the fact that the ruling class has been able to push through all that terrible legislation, the ABCC and all that with not so much as even a whimper. Um, right. So it also indicates the you know, the weakness of of the of the working class as a whole, not just I'm just not talking yeah. about But don't you think so, a bit of that's got to do with uh, us being pretty um uh, fa fairly wealthy materialistic materially as well? I reckon that don't you think well, that's got something to do with it or not? We my humble opinion is we have seen the best of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Take myself, for instance. Yeah. From the moment I started work, the only time I've ever been out of work was when I wanted to be out of work. Mm. Yeah, but your generation, Norm, the whole difference is that I've always thought you've seen the best and the worst. You had the war years oh, yeah. and you had the depression yeah, years. Yeah. You know, my generation, I was yeah. born 48, I tell you what, I don't think as anybody's been luckier, you know, and that's. But I think the good thing was we didn't take it for granted because there was a well, much had, more discussion. What is this? Put Bob. Let's talk to each so, other. You know, remember what Mark said? He said, "Look, you don't come into the world. None of us are ready-made people. Yeah. We've picked up. We're made from the people who've come before, before us, yeah. and likewise they come from." And the conditions, yeah, yeah, yeah. and not these conditions don't come like that. They come through a process, mm. and uh, that's what we are. And the world is going through a similar sort of process. Look, you take this. If you look at things closely, T 
take all these new laws that have been brought in in Australia, leave the United States to one side for a moment and what's happened there, but all these new laws, those basically are the same sort of laws that we condemned Hitler's Germany for introducing. The same sort of secret police, the tap phone tapping, and, and, it's, and these days you can do anything to, um, in that regard. And we've just let it come in. Just because nobody in Australia, except a few nuts, are getting around with swastikas on their arms, it's not to say we haven't got fascism here. We have got fascism developed, not fully developed, but to a great extent, it's existing in Australia. Now, in the United States, look at what's happening to their local police forces. They're getting around in tanks, heavily armoured cars. The same sort of thing is said to want to be happening in Australia. It's when somewhere where those armoured vehicles that we manufacture, the only motor car I think we manufacture now, <laughs> Is the ones up in Ballarat Vinegar, there's some yeah, army yeah, vehicle that's supposed yeah. to be quite good. You know, about using them in the police force. Now, that's a lesson. Don't allow yourself to be decimated. One thing the army taught me was, hey, keep your feet moving. <laughs> but I think that with Don't the, get in the corner. I think the difference now too is with what Bob was saying about we've got it easy or the people have it easy. It's true to a point, but it's really... It's deceptive because people are in such huge debt with mortgages and borrowed money, and they, you know, it's, they're so um, tied. It's like a chain. Yeah. So they they're too scared to lose jobs if they, you know, stick their heads up. Yeah. Um, and that wealth, it's it's all on borrowed money. So they've got huge payments on mortgages. They're probably, you know, all the the whole working life. Yeah. and going into pensions. They borrow money to buy cars, they borrow money and those that have boats, they borrow money to Go on holiday. They'll, now they'll be borrowing money to send the kids, some borrowing a lot. Oh, lot to send, send the kids, kids to school. To school no. and now to universities, those kids who want to go where there's no guarantee of jobs. So I reckon that wealth is very deceptive. People think they're wealthy. And it's part of the system that it's tricked people into thinking that, mm. you know, mm. Things are honky dory, but you go into most families, and there's such big tensions and insecurity about worrying about losing a job and not being able to pay up. And then the other side is the is the IR laws yeah. are, are brought in at a time where I think there's been a lot of the Labor Party, the ideas, social democracy thing, it's been really really co-opted a lot of people. Yeah. And people think everything is can be achieved through, through electing Labor to Parliament. That whole thing about parliamentarism—that's the only place where you can make a, ch- a um, yeah. make a change—is <laughs> through Parliament. So consequently, there's the organising on the ground of unions has been virtually abandoned. And the last state, you know, we saw that happening at the last state elections, where the trades hall and everyone just went into the into the mode of uh, marginal seats campaign, which is fine, but there's nothing about 
building the union movement. Yeah. It's all about getting Labour in because Labour will look after the unions, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's, but all that kind of stuff, is, I think, is um, is superficial and it won't take much. We, well, you and I were saying earlier, sometimes it's just a, you know, uh, just a, a, a one incident that can just trigger off that real upheavals. There isn't that same vision of what people, how, how people want to see society organised. Like there isn't a leadership, and I, you know, and I think in the 60s and 70s, and there was there was that that leadership of a vision of what sort of what sort of life working people want and need. And now it's very much that kind of spontaneous and the Occupy movement, which is great. I mean, it's really great that the grassroots, and that's what's happening in, in Greece and in um, Spain and in Europe, but there isn't that same level of, you know, um, deeper understanding of how the system works. Yeah. You know, we um, in the 60s, the BLs brought out, and we were talking about that earlier, one of the newsletters had on the back of it how, uh, who makes the profit, Mm. And that, do you remember that? Mm. It, it had that sort of scale of you work a 40 hour week, yeah. or sorry, an eight hour day, and four hours goes to, to pay for the workers' mm. immediate needs of, of, you know, health, education, housing, reproducing your children, and the other 50% just goes to the boss to make mm. profit out of it. Mm. There isn't that same educational no. understanding. No, it's not happening. No. no. But then, uh, there's no, there's no, one of the, no one of the big problems is amongst the left there's no agreed, clear line yeah. of, of uh, yeah. whiteboard. Yeah. Mainly because we haven't managed to understand the problems of the past. Mm. Until you understand the problems, until you can work out what the past meant, how in the hell can you look, look forward? forward? You can't yeah. do it. You got to say what was wrong. Oh, you, in other words, you got to correct what was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. We but, but I just think I don't know. I'm biased because I got so well taught by people. But you know, I, I just, it's very hard these days. People, it's very you know, there's no understanding what's going on. Well, so what do you reckon, Normie? How do you know that we're getting old now? But well, I'm even getting old. What do you reckon? What if you know? If you were talking to some. But he was 30 or 35, you know, the age of my kids, I in the mid to late 30s, you know, and they all think they're not stupid. Well, what do you reckon you say to people? Because they all just say they work. To what people? How old? In their 30s, they just reckon I that the young ones anything. don't understand anything. They don't listen to anything. I wouldn't tell them anything. Why is that? <laughs> not going to be, they're not going to learn from people. Do you reckon they're going to learn first hand? Well, they're going to have to go for a process. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to go through the process. I thought That's you were going to have the answer. Nancy, I thought he was going to have the answer. <laughs> he came here all the way here to answer. Because <laughs> I'll tell you something, you know, going back... to my father, Mr. <laughs> he knows. That's what we used to call him. He knows everything, but he knows nothing. <laughs> like, like, I remember one thing I learned, Camo, one of the earliest things he said to me. You know, we were talking and I said to him, ah, what we need is uh, we need to have a real bad time so everybody wakes up, but very rightly so. He said, yeah, the trouble with that is it's the poor people that suffer the most. Yeah, and you'd have to agree with that, wouldn't yeah, you? Even then, even the bad times yeah. don't necessarily right. alter people. Mm. 
Mm. Unless, people, unless there is <coughs> leadership. Yeah, you've got to, yeah. what is it? Organise, educate, agitate. That's what you've got to do. But I think that what the left suffers, if we're going to talk about whatever the left is, I don't <laughs> fucking know what the so-called left is. There is a sort of this thing that we know what to impose on people rather than actually going out and listening to what the people are saying the real problems are. You know, even like with that, the race Australia, where the, you know, those neo-Nazis organised yeah. reclaim. And we were saying, somebody who went to it was saying there was this, you know, the core of it, of the racist groups were, you know, real neo-Nazi. Mm. They, were, they were drone guys, yeah. they were real thickheads. And, you know, you just need to look at some of the things they say. But those who came around to, to, to support the reclaim, and they said they just look like ordinary people going to a footy match or a... Yeah. Um, yeah. And what drove driving them to that is that there's real worry about unemployment. And, and they're worried and, about... Yeah, and worried they're saying about things, yeah. yeah. So there's all those kind of confusions. But no one, the left is not saying, you know, making differentiation that these people who seemingly support the reclaim are ordinary people who are really insecure and worried about their future and and make different differentiate between those and the and the hardcore neo Nazis. Well I'm very disappointed Norma came well, here I and I what, thought what, you what, were gonna bloody well I put me on the path to <laughs> positiveness and <laughs> yeah, and you just tell it like it is, you bastard. I yeah. came here to get bloody encouraged and what have you done to me? Dance lies there. You've got to think. I, I don't think. I know, I, I, I think, but I, I don't think it is. Yeah. I, no, I do think, but I don't think as much as uh, other people think, obviously. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, that was really good. Yeah, yeah it was. We got. got really good. So, what we'll do with it is. Um, Thanks for listening to Creatures of the Industry Summer Specials. And thank you again to Bob, Shirley and Andy for doing the business before we lost an important part of the history of our industry. You can listen to all our interviews on 3cr.org.au forward stroke Cotty, C-O-T-I. Or you can go to one of the many apps that have podcasts, uh, including our own. Or you can send us a uh, email to creatures of the industry, lowercase one word, at gmail.com. Thank you. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's plastic. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.